So if you have your program, you can go ahead and pull it out. Inside your program is an outline uh, today, and we are going to look at uh, questions, how God uses problems in your life to change you. Several months ago, I started before uh, the summer season hit. Uh, summer is always kind of an interesting time around here. We've got a short period of time where everyone exits uh, and goes on vacation and whatever else, so we just do this. Uh, we've been doing this kind of thing for the last couple of years. It's fun for me. And that is you ask me a question or you desire to have a message done around a question that you posed for me. And so I uh, was able to do that. And, and some, of the me- some of the questions were a little too involved, and I didn't feel like in 30 or 40 minutes I could address it properly, um, but many of them were great. And this lesson today comes from kind of two questions that I received. Uh, one of them was, does, uh, God does not want me to have problems, right? And the other part of that question came, and it was from a, uh, from a person, and it says this, how long will God allow me to stay in this crisis? Okay? And it's kind of an interesting thing to look at. Jesus said, in this world you'll have problems, right? So problems are part of a broken world that we live in. <clears throat> there are two areas that believers miss when it comes to how God works in and through our life and what he uses as vehicles to do that. One area, which I talked about this a few months ago, is the area of your vocation, your job. 40% of your life, if you're working, 40% of your life is spent in your workplace. And so God is going to use your workplace environment to shape and mold you into the image of Christ. And sometimes we disconnect that. You know, oh, I have problems at work or whatever else, and we don't realize that God wants to use that to shape and mold us into the image of Christ. And then the second area is the area of problems or crisis in, in our life. Now, when I say problems and crisis, I'm not talking about today when I had a hangnail and I actually pulled it the wrong way and, it, and it, I, I bled, right? I'm not talking about that kind of problem. I'm talking about larger problems, financial problems, relational problems, health problems, you know, bigger problems, bigger crisis um, that we oftentimes have in our life. So if you pull out your outline, at the very top of your outline, Here is God's goal for all of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is without any apology or any uh, qualifications. It's this, that God wants to change you. He wants to change me into the image of Christ. That is God's goal. That is God's will. That is God's plan for every single one of our lives. And so he is going to use, not cause, but he is going to use different means to shape you and mold you into the image of Christ. And if you think that he is not going to use problems and crisis in your life, then you're going to be mistaken. In fact, there may even be a time in your life where you're bitter toward God because God has allowed you to stay in that mess and he hasn't rescued you and you feel like he's letting you down. And that's because you have this idea that God is, should just reach, reach down and rescue you and, you know, pull you out, pull you into safety, and you're going to have a happy life, which is what we're going to look at next week. And everything's just going to be happy. And we miss the fact that God wants to transform us into the image of Christ, and he's going to use different means uh, to, to do that. In your outline, would you look at problems differently in your life if you knew that God was using them to change you into his image? Would you look at life, would you look at the problems that you experience, the crisis that you experience in life, If you paused long enough and said, you know what, God may use this to transfer or change me into the image of Christ, would you look at at it differently? 
Or would you just resist and push back and say, God, this isn't fair. God, you need to rescue me. God, you need to get me out of this. I'm tired of it. I've been in this thing for like five minutes now, and it's way too long, and I just need to move on, right? But when you begin to recognize that perhaps he's allowing these things, not causing, but allowing these things in our life, these problems and crisis in our life, because ultimately his goal is to transform us into his image. And how we process problems and how we go through problems, if you begin to recognize that they're allowed by God to transform you into the image of God, your attitude and your mindset is going to be different than if you're just digging in your heels and resisting. Okay, and we're going to go through that today. We're going to look at Jacob. Jacob is in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, he, he It's a f- kind of a famous story. If you have kids in the back, you'll oftentimes hear about the life of Jacob and Esau. Um, Jacob had a huge problem, but his problem wasn't his problem, and his crisis wasn't his crisis. He, his problem was is that he wanted to be in control. He wanted to tell God and, and others what to do, and he, as a sense, just kind of resisted all of that. Okay. Now, he thought that his problem was that he was going to have a time where he got reacquainted with his brother Esau, who he swindled out of his inheritance. Okay. That's what he thought the problem was going to be. He thought that he had a conflict with his brother and that he was going to have to go and his kind of his past sins were going to catch up to him and he was going to have to reconcile with him. But he didn't recognize that really what God was going to do is God was going to use his problem that he thought to reveal his big problem, which is he wanted to be in control. He wanted to call the shots. He wanted to tell people what to do, where to go and all that kind of stuff. And it was an issue of whether uh, Jacob was going to trust God and surrender to God or whether he was going to continue to live his own life. So, so this is kind of, let me pause and say this. When you're going through problems or crisis in your life, your problem and your crisis is not your problem or your crisis. Your problem is you want to be in control. That's your problem. And that goes all the way back into Genesis at the fall. Adam and Eve wanted to be God. They wanted to have the knowledge of God. They wanted to have the free will of God. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And that was the problem. And that was what led into the the fall. Right? And so our problem when it comes to crisis and trouble in our life, our problem isn't our problem and it isn't our crisis. It's that we want to be in control of it. And when we can't control it, it causes heartburn in our life. Would you agree with that? And I'll throw this out to you. Most of your relational problems is a control problem. If my wife just did, I wouldn't have any of these issues. Control. If my husband just did, I wouldn't have any of these problems. Control. If my kids would just listen to what I have to say, they wouldn't be making those poor choices. Control. Let's go into vocation. If I tell you, if my boss, if I was the boss, and I was running the show, the company would be completely different. We wouldn't be going through this hard times. We wouldn't be, because I would be a different boss, a different manager, a different CFO, CEO, whatever the case is. Control. Right? And if we, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm in control, that's right. If I'm not in control, then I'm leaving. That's it. 
right? And I'm in control of my house. My wife tells me that every day. <laughs> and and so, so when we start peeling away the layers of our life, we recognize that we want to be in control. So our problem in our crisis isn't our problem in our crisis. Our problem in our crisis is that we want to control God. We want to tell God, get me out of here. God, fix this. God, solve that. God, do this. And we want to take God's place. And then when he doesn't, people become bitter toward God. He didn't hear my prayer. He didn't solve my problem. He didn't fix my whatever it is. So here's Jacob. Jacob has spent up until this point his whole life running his life. He had been scheming. He he had been swindling. And now all of a sudden, he comes to a point in his life where he's going to be reconciled with his brother Esau, who he swindled out of his inheritance. And he is incredibly scared. He has fear that's overrunning his life because he's not sure how his brother, who he swindled out of it, how he's going to do. So he conceives this brainiac, brainiac idea where he's going to get part of his, his, his herd. He's going to separate him. He's going to have all of his people come and say to Esau, oh, my Lord, look at what he's done. And he's going to somehow appease his brother and everything's going to be OK. And he's going to work through this problem. It's not going to be an issue. And he is going to go off and he's going to continue to run his own life. Unfortunately, God had a bigger plan. Right. Fortunately, Unfortunately for Jacob as he's going through it, but fortunately in the long term, that God wanted to do something in and through his life. And so let's take a look with me in your outline. There are four phases that God uses to change Jacob, and it's the same in our life when it comes to crisis and problems in our life. Number one in your outline is that he is going to give you a crisis or a problem in your life. Okay. Now you may not be going through one right now, but just wait, it's coming. Because Jesus promised us in this world... You're going to have problems. And the struggle is, is that we struggle with God because we want to be in control. The problem isn't the problem and the the crisis isn't this crisis. The real issue is, is that we want to control God. And so we're having problems with the problem because we want it to be fixed. We want to get out of it. We want it to be solved. God isn't doing it. And we can't understand why he's not responding and why he isn't answering our prayers and why he isn't getting us out of this mess. And the underlying issue is, I want to control God. I want to be in control of my own life. I want to control everything, okay? That's why, how many of you don't like to fly? Now, and I don't like it either. I've got both hands and a foot up, right? This is how stupid I am. When I fly, I wish I was flying the plane. Because if I'm holding the yoke, I'm in charge. Now, you wouldn't want me to be the pilot, (laughs) right? How many of you don't like driving with someone else when they're driving? Come on. You want to know why? You're not in control. And they didn't put brake pedals in the passenger seat. As much as you want them there, right, it's not there. And then you're like this, right? Let me see. If, let, me, let me just see. If I get, you see that car coming? There's a car over there on the left-hand side. See it? See it? Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Honey, it's 200 feet away from me. I see it. It's on the other side of the earth. It's in a different time zone. It's in a different zip code. It's, it's, it's a mile. I'm surprised you can even see the back. I know, but you better slow down because who knows? I mean, that may be. Right? Isn't it true? 
wait, and someone said no. <laughs> After church is over, get in the back seat of my car. <laughs> I'll show you something. You'll be going, whoa, my prayer life is up good, man. I'm ready to see Jesus. Are you? Here we go. So that's what we wrestle with. It, our struggle is that we want to control God. And so when we're in problems, when we're in crisis, we want to control God. He's not responding the way that we think he should. And so we have problems with it. So here it is in verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. <clears throat> now, just kind of set it up. Jacob is going to go meet Esau and, and his family. So he sends his two wives, his kids, and all the herd ahead of him because he wanted to spend some alone time because the reality is the way that the, the, the text is written it, where it talks about the darkness is that he's filled with fear. He's absolutely filled with fear. And he is in insecure because the whole time he has controlled situations, he's been in charge, and now he's heading into a place where he may not be. And someone may put a big whoop in front of him. And so he's filled with fear, so he sends his family ahead of him. You know, I'm going to spend some alone time. You guys go ahead and go. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak, all right? So he has this wrestling match that goes on all through the night until morning. He's wrestling with what is going to be a theophany, which is an appearance of Christ pre-incarnate. So in the Old Testament, every, every once in a while, not always when it said the angel of the Lord, but oftentimes when an angel of the Lord appeared in the Old Testament, it was a theophany, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Christ. It was there for a time, and then he's gone. Okay, So here he's going to wrestle ultimately with Christ. Now there's some people who, who say, well, it's not true. We'll get to a verse that kind of shows you where, that, where, where that's at. So he has this wrestling match that goes on all day, verse 25. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket in Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So here uh, the angel touches his hip and he's going to give him a permanent paralysis in his hip. He's going to, for the rest of his life, he's going to walk with the limp because of this wrestling match that took place. Now again, remember that Jacob's problem isn't this wrestling match. Jacob's big problem is, is he wanted to control God, and God is going to use his interaction with his brother, soon to be Esau in, in, the, in, the, in the head in the scripture, he's going to use this crisis in his life to bring him to a place where he's going to submit and surrender his life. Because his whole life, the wrestling is a metaphor, it took place, but it's a picture, a metaphor. His whole life, he has wrestled with man, and he's wrestled with God. He's wanted to do his own thing, be his own boss. He wanted to control everything. And so God is going to bring him to a grinding halt as he wrestles with him. Now, in Hosea, it tells us that he wrestled with his brother in the womb of his mother. He was a twin, and so him and Esau were twins. And in the later part of that verse, it says, and, he, uh, and as a man, he struggled with God. All right. So some say, well, I'm not really sure he wrestled with God. He did actually he called it Penel, which is a face to face with God. All right. Here we are in your outline. Regardless of what the problem is, there are two struggles that all of us will have. And this is not, well, maybe I'm different. Maybe it is. All of us will have when you have a crisis or a problem in your life. There are two areas that every single one of us will struggle with. Because remember, your problem isn't your problem, your crisis isn't your crisis. Your problem is, are you going to surrender to God or not? Are you going to allow God to be in control? And are you going to be willing to step back and allow him to be in control of, of, of your life? So there are two areas that we struggle with. 
number one there in your outline. It's not number one, but it will be the first one there. It says, will I obey him? That is the first struggle that all of us are going to have when we're in the midst of problems and crisis. Will I do what is right? Will I do what is right? And see, here's the temptation. When we're wanting to get out of it, it's like, Lord, will you rescue me? And I'm going to pull this up and, you know, here I am. Lord, will you rescue me? And God pauses. So then I start thinking of shortcuts to get out. And when you find your own shortcuts, you will compound your problem. You may get out of the problem for a short time, but eventually it's going to come back threefold, tenfold. Right? So the first struggle we have is, am I going to do what is right? Am I going to obey? The second struggle that we have is, will I trust him? Am I going to trust him in the circumstance, in the problem, in the the crisis in my life? Am I going to trust him fully and completely? Or am I going to dig in my heels? Am I going to complain? Am I going to say, God, rescue me? God, get me out of here. Why aren't you acting quicker? And then I'm going to start surveying the land and trying to figure out how can I get out of this mess? How can I solve my problem? How can I shortcut this? I need to find some relief and I need to get out of here. So we begin to look for the easy way out. In your outline, your biggest problem is not your problem. Your problem is is not obeying and trusting God. And that makes it your biggest problem. And that is the lesson behind Jacob's life. Because his whole life was a scheme. He always he, he was scheming, he was manipulating, he was he was trying to arrange situations for his own benefit. And God brings him to a point in his life where he's going to experience where he's going to experience a wrestling match, but the wrestling match isn't the important thing. It's just the means in which God is going to use to transform his life. All right? So all of us, when we go through crisis, our struggle is with God, and then our real issue is, am I going to obey it, and am am I going to trust God in the midst of it? Then number two, the second phase is a commitment, a commitment that we make, and that is we should not let go, okay? We should not let go in our life. In Genesis uh, chapter 32, verse 26, look what it says. And the, man, uh, and the man said, let go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go of you unless you bless me. Okay, now pause. This is the end of the wrestling match. Okay, Jacob wasn't wrestling with God to be blessed. He was wrestling with God on the front end of it is because he wanted to control his own life and he wasn't willing to surrender and submit to God. They got into a wrestling match. And at the end of the wrestling match, at the end of it, he recognizes who he's wrestling with and he says, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. I'm going to hold on to you until you bless me in my life. All right. But the thing that you need to recognize is that the wrestling match, he didn't wrestle to be blessed. He was wrestling because he wasn't willing to to surrender and submit his life. So now just kind of pause for a second. So when we're going through problems in our life, we want it. We want to get out of it. We want it to stop. We want to be free from it. But the reality is, is God using it 
Has he allowed it into our life to shape and conform us into the image of Christ? Because if he is, how we pray and how we view that is going to be entirely different. We should be saying, Lord, thank you for getting my attention. I recognize that you're going to use this crisis or this problem in my life to conform me to the image of Christ. And Lord, I'm going to hold on to you until you bless me, until you conform me into the image of Christ. And so he holds on to him. He says, no, no, you're, you're not letting go. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me in my life. And here's the question, and I think that there's a lesson in here in the, the, where this message kind of came from, <clears throat> which is in your outline. And here's the lesson that we learn from it. When God allows a crisis or a problem into our life, he does not solve it immediately. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. He allows it to linger in our life because, because it, there is something bigger than the crisis and the problem because your problem isn't your problem and your crisis isn't your crisis. Your problem is, are you going to obey God and are you going to trust God? That's your problem. And he's going to allow problems and crisis into your life to get you to that point where you're willing to, to surrender and submit. Now, our prayer is, Lord, get me out of here. I want relief. I want to get free of the pain. I want to be done with this. Right? And then we, 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 kick, we push back and we dig in our heels because it's like, you know, I prayed for like three days and God didn't rescue me and I'm not sure he's paying attention. And then we go through the whole thing of, you know, oh, I wonder if I'm walking right. I wonder if I got any unconfessed sin. I wonder if I got this. I wonder if I got that. And we go through this litany of things and we drive ourselves plumb crazy. Could it be that God is using your crisis and problem in your life to get your attention for you to obey and trust? And that his ultimate goal is to conform you into the image of Christ. And if that's the case, then he isn't going to just reach down and rescue you. Now, as parents, think about this. If you had, say, a two-year-old, you know, and they start getting their own little personality and all that stuff, and every time they said, Mommy, Daddy, I want... You jumped up and you ran and you got it. You ran over to him, you gave it to him, right? Year three, year four, year five, right? Fifteen, mommy, I want, daddy, I want. Poof, jump up and grab, get it, right? What would you have raised? Go ahead, shout it out. A brat, good one, all right? That's probably nice, keep it family friendly, all right? In the back of your prayer life, you would be, Lord, I hope they never find a mate because God helped their new mate, right? Isn't that true? You would raise a spoiled, rotten person that's filled with themselves, narcissist, right? Well, as a parent, I hate to break this to you, you don't know everything. I sound like your 14-year-old kid, don't I? Mom, you don't know nothing. It's like, I know. When I get 13, I hope I know as much as you do. Now that you know everything, why don't you move out and get a job? <laughs> and pay the mortgage while you're at it. Right? But God knows everything about us. He, he knows our today, tomorrow, next week, next month. I mean, imagine... We long for it, God, I want it, God, I want it, God, I want it, God, I want it. But if his goal is to conform you into the image of Christ, do you think he's going to give you everything you want? Boom, 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 just a you know slot machine in heaven. You just pull the handle and poof, there it is. 
He's not going to. You want to know why? Because we learn and our faith grows in seasons of struggle, not in seasons of plenty. Right? See, we want to believe, oh, Lord, just send me on a great vacation and everything will be wonderful and I'll grow close to you. Right? And maybe God blesses you that way. But here's how he's going to conform you. The luggage is going to get lost. You're going to walk up to the hotel room and they're going to go, Buford? I have no idea who that is. Here's my number. Sorry, we're booked. Right? He is going to teach us in times of struggle, not in times of plenty. And if we recognize that his goal is to conform us into the image of Christ, then when we experience those problems in our life, we're going we're gonna to recognize that he's using to mold and shape us into his image. And he's not going to rescue us, boom, 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 like we'd like. And we need to continue to do what is right. In fact, in, in Galatians cha- chapter 6, verse 9, great verse, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. See, too often we look for the shortcut because we no longer trust and we no longer obey because we want relief from the problem. We want relief from the crisis and we're just looking for a way out and we're going to take it whether it's God's way or not. We're just out of there. Then the problem compounds, right? And this is why some of you folks will go through a problem over and over and over again and you wonder How come I keep stepping into it? Because there is a lesson in the crisis and in the problem that God wants to teach you about obeying and trusting. And if you learn it one time through, then you'll find some relief. But if you don't learn it, his goal is to shape you into his image. And so we're going to keep going through over and over and over again in our life until we come to that place where we're conformed to his image. You got that? Number three, and this is by far the hardest, and I'll hear everyone dig their heels into the carpet. Don't push too hard because it'll end up pulling the carpet off the ground. So here it is. That is number three is the confession. And that is where we admit that we're the problem. And I already hear the pushback. But I'm not the problem. If my wife, if my husband, if my boss, if the pastor, if someone else, if they would just, what? Right? And here's the underline. I'm in control. I've lost control because our problem isn't our problem. Our crisis isn't our crisis. The issue is, is that I'm struggling because I want to control God. I want to control him and I want to control everything about it. And so the admission isn't that I'm the problem that you're going through. The admission is, Lord, I want to control everything, and I acknowledge that. I want to drive the plane. I want to hold the yoke. I want to drive the steer- hold the steering wheel. I don't want anybody else doing it, not even you. And that is the admission that we make. That is the confession that we acknowledge that we're not in control. God, you're in control. Verse 27. The angel asked him, now, now remember, this is a pre-incarnate Christ who knows everything. He asked the man, what's your name? Well, well that's kind of crazy. 
the sovereignty of God. I mean, why are you wrestling with this guy, God? Because you have a lesson to teach him. I mean, you weren't just like walking through and go, hey, let's wrestle with this guy right here and you go after this guy. I mean, it was a sovereign match. It was a sovereign plan. It was part of Jacob's life to, to conform him. And yet he goes to him and he asks him, he says, what's your name? And, and Jacob answers, Jacob. What is the significance of that? Well, back in the Old Testament times, you were named after your character. Okay? And I thought of that this, this morning. I thought, this would bring a whole new level to shake and greet in church. If you were named after your character. So just <laughs> ready to have some fun? Hi, I'm greedy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mrs. Gold Digger. Is anyone single? <laughs> Hi, I'm Bob. I'm filled with lust. <laughs> Right? I mean, bring a whole new, whole new way of greeting each other in church. It'd just be completely different. So in those days, as your character developed, then your name would come along and follow you. So he goes to him and he says, what's your name? He says, Jacob. Well, look with me in your outline. Jacob means deceiver. It means heel catcher. It means manipulator. He's confessing his, fa- his flaws. He's basically saying, as he's wrestling, he's saying, listen, I'm a manipulator. I've been running my whole life. I've been deceiving people my whole life. I want to be in control. And the angel says, I know that. I just want you to admit it, that you want to be in control. You want to call the shots. You want to be your boss. And so he asks him, what is your name? And he owns up to it. I mentioned this last week. Until you're able and in a place where you're, you're able to own up to your flaws and faults, you will never experience the transformation that God wants to give you. As long as you're filled with pride and you resist it, God resists the pride, but he gives grace to the humble. Right? Owning it is important. Coming to a place in your life when you're going through the problem and crisis is like, Lord, my struggle isn't my problem and my crisis. My struggle is I'm just wondering if you know what you're doing. And be honest with God. He already knows it. He knows your thoughts. He's not up there going, oh, boy, Dan's questioning me. And he already knows that that's a struggle that we all have. Because we want to control him. And he recognizes that. And so he brings him to a point in his life, in Jacob's life, and he says, hey, what's your name? I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I'm a heel catcher. And then he leads him to number four. And that is the conversion. And he gives Jacob a new identity. He is Jacob, the heel catcher, the deceiver, right? And he's going tra- to change his name. In verse 27, he says, and the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then, <clears throat> then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, right? And Israel, by the way, means Prince, uh, prince with God, or Prince with God. <clears throat> so he says, you're no longer going to be uh, Jacob, you're going to be Israel. You have struggled with God and with man, uh, with men, and have overcome. Okay, so his whole life, and he's recognizing it. Verse 29, uh, Jacob said, tell me your name. But he replied, why, uh, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. Who has the power to bless? Right, God himself. And Jacob, in verse 30, called this place Penel because he saw God face to face and yet uh, in his life, and yet God spared him. Now, he did not realize he was wrestling with God until after the wrestling match was over. 
all right? So he, but he knew he was wrestling with someone who he wasn't able to whip and who was just basically toying with him his whole life or his whole wrestling match. And so here is the importance of the new identity <coughs> in your outline. It gives him a brand new identity, and he's no longer called Jacob, but he's going to be called Israel, which means uh, prince with God. Number, or number two in your outline, the second one is he's going to bless Jacob, but he blesses him after the wrestling match. Remember, the wrestling match wasn't for the blessings. The wrestling match was because he was been running from God. And at the end of the wrestling match, at the end of the crisis, at the end of the problem, God blesses him. So just kind of get your mind around that for a second. It's after God blesses him, after he goes through it. In, in, in verse 31, when the sun rose above him, he passed through Penel, and, and, he, uh, and he was limping, right, because of his hip. And so God gave him a reminder for the rest of his life. Now, this is going to be huge. Here we go. When we go through crisis and problems in our life, we ask God to remove it from our mind. Now, in some cases, God may choose to do that. In other cases, he may not. In Jacob's case, in Israel's case, after his uh, new identity was given, God did not remove that from him. So for the rest of his life, he would spend limping to serve as a reminder of his wrestling with God. Okay? Again, so often in our life, I've seen believers, I just want God to remove this horrible situation from my mind. Now, God doesn't want it to control your life and drive your life, but he may not want to remove it from you because he may want it to serve as a reminder of his grace, his faithfulness, and his love for you. And again, believers, it's like, I just want it out. And yet as a parent of kids, we have wood stoves in our house or pellet stoves in our house. When my kids were small, I didn't pray that they would touch it. I grabbed their hand and touched it. <laughs> but when they did, I didn't pray God remove that experience from their mind. You know what I prayed? God, I pray that they'll never forget touching the stove. Right? When your kid runs on into the street and they almost get hit, you don't pray, Lord, free them from the trauma of running into the street. Your prayer is, Lord, every time they step near the curb, may they be reminded of the incident. Right? Now think about it. God, remove this. What if he doesn't? What if he wants it to serve to you as a reminder that every time you get near that curb, potentially this is what could happen? What if he wants to remind you of his faithfulness, that he's allowed you to go through and you sit here today, it no longer controls you, but it's still running in your background that you've experienced it, but you've been set free from it. See, we pray, Lord, take it out. And in Jacob's case, in Israel's case, God never did. And there are two reasons why in your outline of the significance of the limp. 
Number one in your outline is he stopped running from God. Because remember, prior to that, his whole life was running from God. He wanted to control God. He wanted to be in charge. And the second one is it started him depending on God. And so he had to depend on God. And if you look at the in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 there in your outline, this is the end of Jacob's life. Okay, so this is a New Testament perspective of Jacob's life. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. So he blesses his grandchildren. And he, what did he do? And he worshiped as he leaned on the top of the crutch. You want to know why? Because he carried a crutch his whole life. Because his hip was dislocated. And his whole life, he would walk with a crutch. But it served as a reminder. It served that you can't run from God, and you need to trust God in all circumstances and situations. And at the end of his life, he worshipped God. He wasn't bitter that he had a crutch. He wasn't saying, God, it's unfair. Why did you? He worshipped him. And he blessed Joseph and his children. If we begin to see problems and crisis in our life with a different perspective, how we track through them is going to be completely different. If we recognize that God wants to shape and mold us into the image of Christ, and that he's going to allow problems and crisis in our life to do that very thing, and that in the crisis, in the problem, there are two struggles. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to obey God? And if I trust God and I obey God, then I'm going to get the idea that he is going to conform me. The prayer isn't, Lord, remove me from it. The prayer is, Lord, conform me into your image through it. And if you can begin to pray and see that differently, it will change your whole perspective of how you track through crisis and problems in your life. But if you somehow think that God isn't going to give you problems and crisis or allow problems and crisis in your life, you are dead wrong and you will have a bad view and you will be bitter and you will have a a resentment to God because every time you go through it, you're expecting God to just reach down and rescue you, rescue you, rescue you, and he's not going to do it. Because his will is to conform you into his image. And so he allows Jacob to have a wrestling match. A wrestling match wasn't about the wrestling match. A wrestling match was really about a new identity that he was going to give him. Because he ultimately wanted to change a whole country and a whole tribe of people. It's pretty amazing. And so as we go through it, I pray in the name of Jesus that you don't go through problems. But the reality is, you will. And it's, 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 in, that, it's in those moments that we're either going to surrender or submit, or we're going to resist and push back. Amen? And we'll just all say this out loud. We don't like problems, God. It's not fun. It's horrible sitting in them. It's miserable. And I would be lying to you to tell you that I haven't hit my knees and said, God, get me out of here. Right? I'm willing to go to heaven right now. Just get me out of here. But if you pause long enough to recognize that he wants to conform us into his image, we'll track through differently.
Now, next week, we're going to piggyback on this because this is a dangerous theology that's offered down in America today. And that is the theology of happiness. And it kind of piggybacks on today. And that is that there are so many believers in America that believe God just wants me to be happy. And folks, I can't share with you, but, but I can just tell you, I have heard some horrific choices people have made. And the caveat is like, why did you do that? Because I just believe God wants me to be happy. And it is scary because that's what they believe, that God just wants me to be happy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and your mercy.